All right, CJ did a good job. And Kelsey, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to leave you out. The <laughs> right, right. And, that, and you know what, let's, let's, let's pray as we begin this morning. Father, we, we come before you and we are we're always in, in desperate need of you. Uh, the best thing that we can do is get out of the way. And that is, is certainly my prayer this morning is that I will be out of your way so that your word can have free course and be glorified. We want to thank you for the, the ancient words that we were singing about this morning. Those ancient words, they changed everything in our lives. They, they changed our eternal destiny because of the truth we found in those ancient words. God, they changed then the, the, the course of our life completely and, and the manner of living as a result of that, God. And, and you have been so gracious to us and we're thankful for the way that you preserved those words for us so that we could have access to the truth. And we just ask that as we open those, that book this morning, God, that, that you will do in this place what only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so this morning we, uh, we're, we're going to continue our, our verse-by-verse series here in 1 Thessalonians. And so the last few weeks we've been studying how this church at Thessalonica, this church was the, it was the model church. And, they, and we've been studying that example that they set for us as a local New Testament church. And we've been seeking to conduct ourselves the same way that they did. And so we've gone into some detail talking about the Thessalonians' work of faith and their labor of love and their patience of hope. And, and we've taken some time to study those things and we've taken some time to study what that means exactly. And, and, and we, we've also talked about the way that, that they followed these Thessalonians, they followed the example that Paul, Silas, and Timothy set for them. And, and as they did that, as a result of following, they actually became leaders. And, and they became the example then for others to follow. And this morning, as we continue going verse by verse, and, and we begin chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, the focus is going to turn from primarily focusing on how the church of the Thessalonians conducted themselves and responded to the message of the gospel, causing them to become this model church for us to follow. And that focus, it turns towards Paul, Silas, and Timothy and the manner in which they conducted themselves amongst the Thessalonians as they presented the message of the gospel, causing them to become the model disciplers or the model of discipleship for us to follow. So the primary focus of chapter 1 was the Thessalonians' manner of life after receiving the message of the gospel. And the primary focus of most of chapter 2 that we're going to begin is, is Paul, Silas, and Timothy's manner of life in the midst of presenting the gospel and establishing these Thessalonians in the faith and in the midst of discipling them. But, but before we can get into the specifics of the manner in which Paul and the fellas conducted themselves, I, I want us to see, number one on your study sheet, I want us to see their entrance unto them. Their, their entrance unto them. How did the gospel 
come to the Thessalonians? What was Paul, Silas, and Timothy's entrance in unto them? We've seen how this model church at Thessalonica responded to the message of the gospel and, and the changes that salvation immediately brought to their lives. But how did this message come to them that caused this radical transformation in their lives that we've been studying? We already know what the results of receiving the gospel looked like in the lives of the Thessalonians, but what was all going on behind that? Paul calls it their entrance in unto them. And to help us see that, first I want us to see what their entrance in unto them wasn't. We'll look at what their entrance in was and how their gospel came unto them in a few minutes, but the passage teaches us what their entrance in wasn't as well. And I want us to see that first, letter A, what it wasn't, what it was not. The in in there okay, yeah, there it is. What it letter A, what it what it was what it wasn't, what it was not. And we see what they're entering in unto them wasn't in a couple different places. One of them being First Thessalonians chapter two and verse one, which is where we'll pick back up this morning. First Thessalonians two one for yourselves, brethren Know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. And, and, that's, and that's number one on your study sheet then. It was not in vain. Paul, Silas, and Timothy's entrance in unto the Thessalonians. I, I think there should be a slide for that. Is there a slide for in vain, number one? There it is. The, it was not in vain. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, their, their entrance in unto the Thessalonians, when they entered in unto the Thessalonians and, and shared the gospel with them, their entrance was not in vain. In other words, their entrance wasn't without success. It wasn't without the, what they were hoping for, the result that they were hoping for. It wasn't for nothing. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 1.5 describes it like this, and, and if you'll recall, it's been a couple weeks now, but, I, but we were in verse 5 of chapter 1 here, and I explained at that time that we were just going to kind of briefly go over that verse because it would take us down a whole different path than we were going down that week. Um, but, and I mentioned I'd be coming down, back to it the next time I preached, and so here it is. I did not skip that verse. Here it is. When, when Paul, Silas, and Timothy shared the gospel with the Thessalonians, Here's what their entrance in looked like. Here's how the gospel came to the Thessalonians. It wasn't in vain, according to chapter 2, verse 1. And 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 says there's something else that it wasn't. For our gospel came not unto you in word only. Okay, here's how it went down when Paul, Silas, and Timothy presented the gospel to the Thessalonians. It, it wasn't in vain, it was, and it wasn't in word only. That's number two. It wasn't in word only. Okay, so, so at the beginning of this series, some of you guys may recall, we, 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 took, we went back to Acts chapter 17, and we were seeing the history of the establishment of the church at Thessalonica, and that Paul reasoned with the Thessalonians out of the scriptures for three Sabbath days. So clearly the gospel was presented to them in word, but, because, but man, you, it wasn't just in word only. Because I know you guys know this, but you can talk till you are blue in the face to someone. You can give them the most eloquent gospel 
presentation that's ever been delivered, and you can make logical and biblical sense. And the person you're sharing with is more than capable of going on their way like it never even happened. But in this instance, that wasn't the case. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy's entrance in, it wasn't in vain. It wasn't in word only. But now let's look at what it was. Letter B, what it was. Look at, look at chapter 1, verse 5 again. 1 Thessalonians 1, 5. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power. So they're entering into the Thessalonians as they presented the gospel to them. It was in power. Romans 1.16 teaches us that the message of the gospel of Christ is the power of God to salvation. The more we can get that message out to as many people as we can get it out to, the better. There's power in presenting the truth of that message. That the God who spoke the earth into existence, He loved us so much that He came down and He humbled Himself. And He became a man. And He endured being brutally beaten on that cross beyond recognition and died our death. That should have been us on that cross. And he took our place and he paid the price for our sins so that we might receive the forgiveness of sins to restore the relationship that was lost because of sin. There is no greater demonstration of love that there has ever been. And there's incredible power in that message. There's incredible power in sharing that message. We also see in chapter 1, verse 5, that, that Paul, Silas, and Timothy's entrance in under the Thessalonians as they presented the gospel to them was also, number two, in the Holy Ghost. It was in the Holy Ghost. It, it, it's not on the screen, so just listen to, to chapter 1, verse 5 again. Our, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. Listen, the truth about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was presented to the Thessalonians, which is the power of God unto salvation, and the Holy Ghost was moving in their hearts. Romans 8.11, it, it teaches us that the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit that was, that was moving back there, it, it, that ultimately took up residence inside their hearts the moment that they called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save them, is that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. It was that same Spirit that was at work in the lives of the Thessalonians. And, it, and it, 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 if that's the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, then you understand the unbelievable power that was at work when the message of the gospel was given to the Thessalonians. And understand, the Spirit of God that was at work, the Spirit of God works in conjunction with the Word of God. The power of the Holy Ghost or the power of the Holy Spirit works hand in hand with the Word of God. Of God, So there was the, the power of the word of God as they presented the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation, working in conjunction with the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Now that 
is some serious power, folks. And in, in addition to that, Paul, Silas, and Timothy's entrance into the Thessalonians as they presented the gospel to them was also, number three, in much assurance. It was also in much assurance. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5 again as we continue in this verse. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Ghost. And here it is. And in much assurance, when Paul, Silas, and Timothy gave the, the Thessalonians the gospel, that, it, that, men, that, that message didn't come in vain, it didn't come in word only, but it came in power, and it came in the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, and it came in much assurance. The gospel came with absolute and complete certainty. Those that believed it had no doubt whatsoever that's the power with which it was received. It was actually received with so much assurance and certainty that in this same book, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, it says that for this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Listen, the Thessalonians received the word of God that they heard from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And they didn't even receive it as the word of men. They received it as it is in truth, the word of God. That's how much assurance that they had. That's how much certainty that their gospel came with. There was no doubt okay now listen i said all of that to you for a reason I, I i said everything that i've said to you so far this morning and i took you through all of that to ask you a question why was the message of the gospel and the entering in of paul silas and timothy so powerful why are all those things that we just talked about true? Why was it not in vain? Why was it not in word only? Why was it so powerful? Why was the Holy Spirit so much at work? Why was it received with so much assurance? Was it one of those things where the, where the Thessalonians were just a group of people? They were all just a bunch of Corneliuses? You remember Acts 10 teaches us that prior to salvation, Cornelius was a, was a devout man that feared God, gave to the poor, and prayed to God all the time. Peter ultimately comes to him, gives him the gospel, and he receives it right on the spot. Were the Thessalonians like that? Just a bunch of good moral guys and girls that were just wanting to do right, but they just hadn't heard the gospel yet, and so so that's why when Paul gives them the gospel, it's so fruitful. Well, we know it's not that, don't we? Because we've already seen in 1 Thessalonians 1.9 that the Thessalonians were previously idol worshipers. <laughs> Do you know what kind of debauchery is involved in idol worship in this day? These people in Thessalonica, if we knew them personally, they would be the people that we viewed as these dudes couldn't be further from God if they tried, right? 
That's right. That's right. Some lewd fellas. So what? So so what's up with this radical transformation? Why was the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit so at work? Why was it so convincing? And I believe this same verse that we've already spent a decent bit of time looking at gives us the answer. Check this out. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 For our God came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. And why was that? Here it is. As ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Do you see that? This whole thing is connected to the manner of life that Paul, Silas, and Timothy displayed in front of the Thessalonians. Their, their manner of life, the way they lived, the way they conducted themselves, the way they behaved is connected to the power and working of the Holy Spirit and with the Thessalonians believing what they said with much assurance and confidence. So much that they received it as the word of God, not the word of men. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 says, For they themselves show us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turn from idols to serve the living and true God. You see, their manner of entering in unto them, which resulted in the Thessalonians turning from idols to God, had to do with their manner of life. It was connected to the manner of men that they were and how they behaved themselves and how they conducted themselves. You see, though there may be many of us whose, whose primary struggle is, is simply opening our mouths to share the gospel, there may be others whose primary struggle isn't so much that. Some of our struggle is that when we share the gospel with someone, they can't hear what we're saying because our lives are speaking too loud. We tell them about Jesus, but they can't hear it because they see the way that we treat our spouse. We tell them about Jesus, but they can't hear it because of the way we talk around the fellas. We tell them about Jesus, but they can't hear it because they've seen our wandering eyes at work. We tell them about Jesus, but they can't hear it because the Jesus they've seen from our lives hasn't changed much of anything about our lives other than where we go on Sunday mornings. And listen, the, the things I just rattled off, man, those are just the, those are just the basic things. The, those examples are putting the bar really low. But I want us to make sure we see the connection to the power of the Holy Spirit and the assurance of the gospel as we minister and disciple to our manner of life and the way that we live. In 1 Thessalonians 1.5, it, it, it also says at the end of the verse that the Thessalonians knew what manner of men they were. Look at the end. For your sakes, or for they, they did it for their sake. Okay, Paul understood the importance of the Thessalonians seeing their manner of life. The Thessalonians needed to see Paul's manner of life because of the impact it would have on them receiving the message. And Paul 
understood that. It's what he did it, why he did it for your sake or why he did it for their sake. And, and, and so what I want us to do over the next couple weeks, what I want us to do is just begin looking at what this manner of life actually looked like in the lives of these model disciples. Because Paul actually lays this thing out for us, what it looked like in these first 12 verses of chapter 2. And so that's what we're going to do over the next couple weeks. And that brings us to number two on your study sheet in the first manner of life that I'd like you to see. And that's their boldness and persecution. Number two, their boldness and persecution. We already covered chapter 2, verse 1, but let's start there to get a running start going into to verse 2. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain, but even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. Letter A, they were shamefully entreated. They were... They were shamefully entreated and and so so the Thessalonians they were they were well aware of the fact that when Paul was in Philippi he came under this immense persecution Acts 16 says that they were actually beaten with many stripes and they were thrown into prison and how was it then that the Thessalonians saw them respond to that persecution You'd think that they might just lay low for just a minute. You'd think that maybe they might take a break. In fact, you'd think that maybe they may just count the cost and reconsider whether or not this whole thing was even worth it. But that's not what they did. They, they did the exact opposite. And what they did was they kept pressing forward. They headed straight over to Thessalonica and they began doing the same exact things and preaching the same exact things that had just gotten them beaten and thrown into jail. This was their manner of life that contributed in engaging the power of the Holy Spirit and the Thessalonians receiving the gospel completely certain of the validity of the message that they heard. And, and, I, and I know that's almost hard for us to imagine, this idea of getting beaten and thrown into jail for our, for our faith because of how gracious God has been to this group of people for us to live in the country that we live. But this is very real, and this thing does exist on this planet right now. You realize that? And it very well may be something that we all have to live and experience before it's all said and done, especially if we stay on the same path we're on. Are you prepared to keep pressing forward in the midst of that? You, you see, it usually takes a whole lot less than that to sideline us from ministry and discipleship, doesn't it? You see, it, you, it, things like, I'm not going to minister to that person because of what they did two years ago that I'm still holding on to. Man, we hold on to us some grudges, don't we? We do it to people, to do it to people outside that need what we have. They need to be saved, and we do it to the people inside these four walls, too. Aren't you glad God doesn't do that to us? 
Paul and Silas are beaten and thrown into jail. And, and do you remember what happened? They led the guy who was watching over them in prison to Christ. They didn't say, hey, forget you, buddy. You've been holding us captive in here. We're getting out of here. Go ahead and kill yourself, which was what he was about to do. No, they ended up leading him to the Lord. <laughs> here, here's another one. I'm not going to disciple them because I'm too busy. We're too busy to do the one thing that God left us on this planet to do. And we could go through reason after reason that we allow to sideline us from ministering and discipling. But the model disciplers that we find in this book, it didn't, they didn't even allow being beaten and thrown into prison to sideline them from ministry and discipleship. And not only were they shamefully entreated at Philippi, there, there was also, letter B, much contention. There was also much contention. 1 Thessalonians 2.2 2, Again, it says that after we've been suffered, we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God. And here it is with much contention. It, listen, we've already seen in, in the past weeks that when they presented the gospel to the Thessalonians, they got ran out of town, didn't they? Sure, there were those that, that received the message and got saved, which is why the, the church of the Thessalonians was even started. But those that didn't believe, they ran those dudes out of town. But Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they were, they were bold. They gave them the gospel despite the contention. And I find that little, with much contention, I, I find that extremely interesting and, and I find it extremely valuable for where we find ourselves in the midst of Christianity in 2022 as it relates to evangelism. Because many of us are we're a group of people who have adopted the morality of Christianity, but somewhere along the way we forgot about the mission. And I think a big reason why is this thing of contention. I get that there are some people out there that don't mind getting into it with people. Right there, there are some people. Some pretend to like it more than they really do, but there, there are there are some that that like it a little more than others. But for the most part, most of us do everything possible to avoid contention and confrontation in our lives. And for the most part, that's probably a smart way for us to conduct ourselves, except when it comes to sharing the gospel. As believers in Christ, of course, we shouldn't run around town causing drama and causing contention with people. But if proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ causes contention, then come what may, because we've been commissioned to proclaim his name to the world. But listen, y'all, we're even a little bit worse than that, because it isn't just that we're not evangelistic because there could be contention. We don't share our faith, not even because it could be contentious, but because it could make us and the person we're sharing it with uncomfortable. We forget contention for a second. We won't share the gospel because we, we won't even get out of our own comfort zone to do it. We're not talking about contention, debating, making people angry, getting chased out of town. We won't share the gospel because it makes us uncomfortable. Oh my goodness, y'all, do you, do you see that? Do you see the problem with that? Do you see how we do that? 
we have to break ourselves of this obsession to avoid contention and run to comfort. The people around you need the truth of the message of the love of God, and, and it may just be you that he sent to minister to them. Paul, Silas, and Timothy kept moving forward. They continued sharing the gospel despite being beaten, thrown into prison, and despite there being much contention. And what you just have to love about these guys that they modeled for us is they did all these things and they did it for the right reasons. That's number three on your outline. Their motives for exhortation. They did it for the right reasons. You see, interestingly enough, there, there are a lot of selfish reasons that people do what Paul, Silas, and Timothy did. They, they, but that, they... They, did, they didn't do it, though, for selfish reasons. They didn't have selfish or impure motives in the midst of this. Let's look at it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3. Because here's, here's what Paul says. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. Exhortation is, is basically a way of, of saying the way they comforted them or the way they encouraged them towards righteousness and, and i want us to see what their motives were for exhorting and comforting and encouraging the thessalonians but but first let's see what their motives weren't letter a what they weren't their motives were not a, a reference of course referencing verse three that i just read their motives were not number one deceit their motives were not to deceive people with what they said Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God, here's that word, deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience, in the sight of God. Okay, so just like with the Corinthians in this passage, Paul's motivation when they were teaching the Thessalonians, it wasn't to deceive. Listen, God forbid that we would ever try to use the word of God to deceive in order to advance some sort of agenda that we have. Maybe we use it deceitfully because we're going to try to climb up the ranks in church so we can have some sort of position when in reality it's deceit because we're not applying the truth we're making people think we have it by knowing what to say and what we're really doing is using the word of god deceitfully and that's a way to apply it to ourselves but but we have to be on high alert of especially the guys that are doing what i'm doing right now because all over this country at this very moment and all around the world as well, there are preachers that are handling the word of God deceitfully. Maybe it's for money. Maybe it's to build their kingdom so they can look back at the people that showed up to hear them talk. But you have to be aware of this thing because it's everywhere. But that wasn't Paul, Silas, and Timothy's motivation. And, and their motivation also was not uncleanness, number two. It also wasn't uncleanness first thessalonians 2 3 again shows us that that it was not for uncleanness it's, 
Does anybody here know anybody who's ever used the gospel for uncleanness? Anybody here know anybody who, or, or seen this on TV, who leveraged who they were at church for physical or moral impurity or uncleanness? You don't have to be around long to figure out how much that trash goes on. Paul, Silas, and Timothy's motives were not to leverage themselves into position for opportunity to engage in physical or moral uncleanness. Next, their motives also weren't in guile. They weren't number three in guile. Again, we see that in verse three of chapter two. Guile, it is very similar to deceit. If we're to describe what it is, it's craftiness. It's, it's subtlety. He didn't pretend one thing and intend another. He believed and therefore he spoke what he believed. Listen, with deceit, uncleanness, and guile, we've got to all be on high alert. We have to be on high alert and take an introspective look at ourselves and constantly be evaluating our motives. And we have to be also on high alert and take an extrospective look at others knowing the evil at work in the world that seeks to deceive we have to understand that's how that thing goes so that's what their motives weren't but verse 4 of chapter 2 gives us insight as to what paul silas and timothy's motives were letter b what they were we've seen what they weren't in verse 3 now let's look at what they were in verse 4 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. Please don't miss this. What motivated them to disciple the Thessalonians was the way they saw discipleship. And this motivation, it has to do with their perspective. And that was, number one, they saw it as a privilege. Do you see that? They saw it as a privilege. They were, what's the verse say? Allowed of God to share the gospel. They, they knew the mission that God had given them, the same mission that he has given us, and they couldn't believe that they were allowed to be a part of it. They couldn't believe that, that God had blessed them so much that they had the privilege of being a part of reaching people with the eternal message of the gospel. Have you ever viewed it as a privilege? Have you ever thought to yourself, I can't believe I get to do this? And if the answer to that question is yes, then can I ask you, what's stopping you then? <laughs> Paul, Silas, and Timothy's motive for going to the Thessalonians had to do with the fact that they still couldn't get their minds wrapped around the reality of God allowing them to be a part of something so magnificent and something so incredible. And I believed if we viewed it that way too, that it would motivate us if that was our motive it would motivate us it would be a game changer as it relates to discipleship we get to be a part 
of the work of the Lord. If we don't see it that way, chances are we won't involve ourselves in much of the work. Another motive that they had as they discipled and shared the gospel with the Thessalonians, which also has to do with their perspective is, number two, they saw themselves as stewards. They saw themselves as stewards. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 4 again. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. Listen, they were put in trust with the gospel. They were allowed, but they were put in trust. They knew and understood that they'd been allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel and the privilege that that was that they had been put in trust with the gospel but they knew and understood that it was a privilege like we just saw but that it was also a stewardship a steward is someone who has been entrusted with someone else's goods a steward is is someone who who manages or oversees the affairs of someone else You see, God has put the gospel in our trust. Now that we're believers in Christ, he's put it in our trust. You you recall from our Parallel Paradigm series that we recently got out of, that the, the physical body of Christ, it ascended back up into heaven, and now we're here as the spiritual body of Christ, the church. So now we're here on earth, managing the affairs of the Lord Jesus Christ until he comes back. And we're stewards of the message of the gospel, y'all. Whether we realize it or not, and even whether we like it or not. Now it's just a matter of whether we're going to be a faithful steward or whether we're going to be an unjust steward. That's really all this thing shakes out to. There isn't a scenario where we get out of being a steward. We don't get to go... Hey, God, I think I'm going to sit this one out. I don't want, I don't want to play. I don't want to play this steward game. I, 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 no, we're, we're playing. It's just a matter of whether we're going to be found faithful or unjust. Another way the, the Bible describes our stewardship is by referring to it as the ministry of reconciliation. And by referring to us as ambassadors for Christ. Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 5.18, he says, and all, these, all, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for christ as though god did beseech you by us we pray you in christ's stead be ye reconciled to god do you view the ministry of reconciliation the way that that god does do you do you view that thing as a stewardship do you view that as something that you're responsible for do you view that as something you're going to give an account for Because whether we view it that way now, we will view it that way when we're standing before the Lord and we're told to give an account of our stewardship at the judgment seat of Christ. We will view it that way then. But it's it's the mission. It's the purpose we've been left 
on this planet were stewards of that. And Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they understood that that had been committed to their trust. That's how they viewed the mission. That's how they viewed discipleship. That's how they viewed stewardship. And that was their motivation to what their manner of life was toward the Thessalonians. Another thing that motivated Paul, Silas, and Timothy as they discipled the Thessalonians was number three, they wanted to please God. They wanted to please, they wanted to please God. First Thessalonians chapter two and verse four. <clears throat> but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, here it is, not as pleasing men, but God. We have anybody here this morning that are people pleasers? Any people pleasers in the house? Listen, man, there are some great attributes that people pleasers usually have. They really are. They're usually soft-hearted. They usually want to do right by people, even to their own detriment. But here's the line we can't take it past. We can't desire to please people more than we desire to please God. Because when you please God... You don't always please people. In Galatians 1.10, Paul says it like this. For, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. When you're the servant of Jesus Christ, when you're a steward of the gospel of Christ, you seek to please God, because if you seek to please people above God, then who are you actually serving? It's not God. <laughs> that has to be our motives in the midst of the mission, in the midst of discipleship. It isn't to please people, though we hope they're pleased and receptive of the message. It's to please God and come what may. And, and then lastly, number, number four, their hearts were tried. Their hearts were tried. 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 again. The last line, we are allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men but God, and here it is, which trieth our hearts. Paul says, you, you know all this stuff about motives that we've been talking about? All that really is, is it's, a, it's, it's showing us where our hearts are at. Why we do what we do is, is a matter of the heart. Our motives are a heart issue. In the manner in which Paul, Silas, and Timothy conducted themselves, it was with pure motives in their heart. And at the end of this verse, Paul reminds the Thessalonians and he reminds us that God will try our hearts. God is going to test us to see why we do what we do. Proverbs 17 and verse 3 says it like this. Would you listen to it? The fining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord trieth the hearts. And, and just like that fining pot for silver and, and, and that furnace for gold, God turns up the heat in our lives, and He tries our hearts to see what we're made of and what our motives are. 
And he looks to prove and improve our hearts in the midst of him trying our hearts. He's going to put our hearts and our motives to the test. And what my hope is, is that we'll be able to say, along with David in Psalm 17, 3, my hope is that we'll be able to say, Thou hast proved my heart. Thou hast visited me in the night. Thou hast tried me, and here it is, and shalt find nothing. That's the hope. That's the hope. That's the goal that when God tries our hearts and he tries our motives for why we do what we do, that we can come out of that thing saying, God tried me and he proved me and he found nothing. There was nothing in my motives that was deceitful. There was nothing that was unclean. There was no guile. But when God proved me, what it proved was that I saw the mission as a privilege. It proved I lived my life in awe of the fact that God would allow me to be a part of eternal things. It proved that I saw my life as a steward who had been entrusted with the ministry to reconcile the world to Jesus Christ. It proved that the reason I did it was to please God even when it didn't please people. Listen, the manner in which Paul, Silas, and Timothy lived their lives in front of the Thessalonians was why the power of the Holy Spirit was unleashed in the lives of the Thessalonians. It was why the Thessalonians received that word with much assurance, so much so that they received their words not as the words of men, but as it was in truth, the word of God. It had to do with their manner of life. It had to do with the life that they lived out in front of them. And God used them because their motives were pure and they boldly proclaimed the gospel. They wouldn't even let beatings in prison stop them. And they weren't going to let being uncomfortable or even having contention stop them from the purposes that God had for their lives. This was their manner of life. This unleashed God's power. This is what true discipleship looks like. Jesus, we, we love you. We, we thank you for this, this model of discipleship, God. We thank you for the way that Paul, Silas, and Timothy were an example to us, God. These guys got it. They, they understood what this thing was all about. They had their focus on the eternal. What I'm praying for myself in this group of people in this room, God, is that we will apply what we've learned from this example this morning of Paul, Silas, and Timothy, that, that we would be bold despite any persecution, God, that our motives would be pure and that they would be right and that you would unleash your power in our lives and use us to reach people with, with the gospel. And that that power would be behind it of a, a manner of living and a manner of life exemplified in front of people where they see that difference and where, that, that where, they, and where your power is unleashed. God, I pray that would be the case in our lives and that we would disciple in that manner. We love you, Lord. Amen.